Thank you for listening to this Waterstone message. Here at Waterstone, our mission is to advance God's kingdom to God's glory. Our current series is called Power and Weakness, a study in 2 Corinthians, where we look at how we experience Jesus' power and grace in our weakness. We hope this message encourages and challenges you, and we would love to see you at one of our services at 5.30 on Saturday evenings or 9 and 10.30 on Sunday morning. A reading from the book of 2 Corinthians. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. I have a very important number for you. 67. Anyone know what it is? Yes. Excellent. Days until Christmas. How many of you that just gave you some anxiety? Because <laughs> I'm asking you that question. It's not even Halloween yet. Ah. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about something that's coming up in our Advent season here at Waterstone that I'm really, really excited about. This year, our Advent series is called Be a Part of a Different Story. And we're talking about four different things in the four weeks leading up to Christmas. We're talking about worshiping fully so that we can be mindful of spending less in order to give more as a way of reflecting God's love to all. And what's ironic is it just happened to be that this morning's passage from 2 Corinthians really talks about those different elements. And so I want you to keep Advent in mind, and as you're, we're listening to God's word today, I want you to really be um, aware of how he may be kind of prompting things inside of you to prepare us for the coming of Christ, the celebration of Christ's birth. 
We're in the middle of a sermon series on 2 Corinthians. It's called Power in Weakness, and we're really looking at Paul, the Apostle Paul's writing to the people in Corinth, and he's giving them some challenges. He's, he's illuminating some truths about Jesus that at times um, really are, reflect some counterintuitive cultural, things that are counterintuitive to cultural norms. So it's flipping things upside down for them, but it's really opening up the beauty of the gospel. So this morning we're going to look at one of the main parts of the entire book of 2 Corinthians. It's chapters 8 and 9. If you um, are interested in following along just on those two passages, there are Bibles in the, in the, the, free, the seat backs in front of you. Um, 2 Corinthians is in the second part of the Bible in the New Testament, and chapter 8 starts on page 1,161. So I would actually encourage you to grab that, and as I'm um, kind of sharing God's word this morning, feel free to look through. I just want you to know where that information's coming from. Um, It's coming from God's word. So as you're pulling that out, I'm going to start us off with a word of prayer. God, thank you for the opportunity to come together and reflect on your word. God, your word is still alive today just as it was the day that you gave it to the the writers of the Bible, and we are so thankful not only that you you reveal yourself through the Bible, but you reveal yourself through the person of Jesus. God, this morning, would you give us ears to hear? Would you open up our hearts? Would you really challenge us in the topic of today, which is about your generosity? We pray these things in your name. Amen. So, chapters 8 and 9. The big word that describes those two chapters is generosity. It's this whole idea of being generous. And so I want to walk us through the the first part. I'm just going to talk about chapter 8 today, but I want you to know chapter 9 ties in with it. And the thing about generosity is something always prompts it. We have some sort of internal or external motivator that creates generosity, For Paul, he's arguing, the Apostle Paul is arguing that generosity is really prompted by the idea of God's grace. So I want us to start out by really defining what is God's grace. Let me start by reading um, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. When Paul was writing this, he wrote, uh, all of the New Testament is written in the Greek language. And so when we're translating from Greek to English, sometimes the words are a bit different. So grace is a word that we now understand, although we may understand it through different lenses, we may have different perspectives of what it means. Paul didn't, they didn't really have that word grace at that point in time. So I want you, as we're talking this morning, to think about the word gift, For him, there's an element that grace is about a gift. Now, to understand gifts, we need to understand what gift giving was like during the period of time that Paul was reading, writing to his original audience. Gifts, the Greek word for gift, for grace, is charis. And it's this idea that as um, in that culture, when gifts were given, there was always this expectation that there was some sort of return. You didn't just give a gift just for the sake of giving a gift. You were building some sort of equity. You were hoping to build a relationship. There was always something that was coming back. So there was an expectation that if you were going to give, if I'm going to give you a gift, you're going to be super appreciative of me, or you're really going to like me, or you're going to give me something back. That was just the normal exchange. 
We actually continue to do that today. This is a principle that's true for all cultures through all of time, that there's some sort of exchange psychologically that happens when we're giving gifts to one another. We do this because we give gifts and we think, um, you know, again, we want somebody to give us a gift back or we want some sort of appreciation. So Paul wants to take this idea and he wants to flip it upside down. Because while that's the base work we may all start at, that gift giving is about building relationships, Paul wants us to understand that Christ came, that God sent Christ to give us a gift that's not based on merit. It's not based on any sort of relational value. In fact, when Christ came, when God sent Christ as a gift, he washed away all of the expectations of the culture. And let me tell you, let me go backwards and tell you a little bit about what's going on in 2 Corinthians. The culture is one in which everything is based on merit. So if you are a follower of Jesus, particularly a Jewish Christian, it's based on whether you're part of the right culture, you're part of the right um, nation, you know, you're more, you receive merit if you are Jewish, if you're a male, um, if you have wealth. All of those things then add to this whole exchange of gifts. Because if you're worthy, if you fall into the category of those who are kind of the chosen ones, then you should get the gift. But if you don't fall into that category, there's no merit. There's no reason that you should get it. What Jesus is saying is, no, 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 that's not how God works. God is a God who loves all of his people. And the gift that he gave, that God gave in his son Jesus, had nothing to do with merit. That opens everything up. All of a sudden, if you're a poor woman that's non-Jewish, you have the same access to Christ as anybody else. That's transformational, especially if you're the person who was never on the receiving side of the merit to begin with. One of the things that happened for the Jews, for the Jewish Christians, is that caused a little bit of a, of a bend in them. It actually created some tension because they were thinking, well, wait a minute, our whole lives, our lives, our parents' lives, our grandparents' lives, we've been taught that if we follow the law, we receive God's grace. We receive the gift of God. So we've done it. We've followed every law. We haven't messed up. We've done a really good job. And now you're telling me that this person over here that hasn't done any of that gets the same grace I do? That's not fair. There's a part of it that that sounds crazy. Why would, why would they think, well, gosh, just because this person didn't follow the rules, they should be exempt from God's grace. But we actually do the same thing. I was thinking about this this week. We do this when we're working really hard on a project at work. We've put in the extra hours. We're really proud of what we've done. We've followed all of the regulations. And then our coworker, who kind of rode in on our, curtail, on our coattails, they get the same recognition that we did. And we're, we're mad. Or I was thinking about grades. You know, you work really hard, you're putting in the time, you get good grades when you're in school or graduate school or whatever you're doing, and then all of a sudden the teacher throws in a curve. So the person that, that didn't put any effort in got a better grade because of your efforts. There's some sort of, we feel this injustice. But what we're really doing is we're buying into merit-based grace, merit-based gift-giving. And then it gets into our heads. And then not only do we start to make judgment calls on other people, we start to look at others and say, well, I deserve 
God's grace, but I don't know about you because you're not quite following all the rules. We either swing that direction or we swing the totally opposite direction and we feel completely insecure and inadequate because we can't imagine why God would give his free gift of grace to us. So this whole idea of grace, what Paul is doing here is is transformational. He's flipping it upside down. He's saying, grace isn't about merit. Gift giving isn't about merit. In fact, merit is the exact opposite of grace. Grace is this free giving of Christ. That's what we see in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There is nothing that we can do or not do, nothing we can say or not say, no culture, no gender, no ethnicity that we can be a part of or not a part of that keeps us from the love and the grace of God through Jesus Christ. That's the first thing we need to understand that Paul is talking about because grace, when we understand God's grace, that's the thing that actually prompts generosity. There's a group called The Bible Project. We've, we talk about them on occasion. There's an app called The Bible Project app where they kind of walk you through reading through the Bible in a year, but they also put together these phenomenal videos. And they just came out with one three days ago that's on generosity that ties this idea of grace and generosity together. It's about a five-minute video, but I think it's really worth our time and it fits in well this morning. So we're gonna pause for a minute and watch that. So join me in watching them. Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive and there's lots of people, decorations, food and drink. There's enough for everyone. When you're hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. Yeah, that's what a good host wants for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going, to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture, but it's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. And Jesus grew up in that kind of world, under military occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet, he would say things like this. Look at the birds. They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant, and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way, too. But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand, but he viewed the world through the story of the Hebrew scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can't be trusted. Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there isn't enough, and maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else. And that leads to envy and anger, violence, and a world where it seems like there's not enough. The party's over, it's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity, and so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham, and he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need. All they have to do is trust his generosity. 
And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. But that's not what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance, and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs, and like there's not enough. And it leads to war and Israel's self-destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. What he does is surprising. He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is himself. All right, and Jesus, the host himself, comes to join in on the spoiled party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like, sell your possessions and give to the poor, or don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story, one that is built on trust in God's goodness and love. But living generously doesn't mean life is gonna go well. I mean, look at Jesus. He was betrayed by his friends and he suffered. And this was no surprise to Jesus. He knew that people would take advantage of his generosity. In fact, that was his plan. Really? Yeah, think about it. Jesus knows that we're all hopelessly deceived by this lie that there's not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be defeated. And so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave us the gift of his life. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love. Yeah, God's love can turn death into life. and scarcity back into abundance. Or as the Apostle Paul put it, you know the gift of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And Jesus called his followers to live like the real party has begun. Yes, he called it the kingdom of God. And our invitation to this party is yet another gift, the personal presence of God's own spirit that can teach us how to trust the generosity of the host, just like Jesus did. Yeah, and when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere with our time and money, our attention. Yes, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host. God's grace through the death and resurrection of Christ prompts generosity. Paul actually uses the Macedonian church to explain what some of this generosity looks like. So if you've got that Bible open, we're going to look at chapter 8, verses 3 through 5. If you don't, we've got it on the screen as well. It says this, For I testify that they gave, this is the Macedonian church, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Let me give you a little bit of background on the Macedonian church. The Macedonian church lives in, lives in one part of the world, and then you've got the Jerusalem church that lives in another. The Jerusalem church is a fairly new but established church, and they are under all sorts of persecution. They've got a high level of poverty. Um, they're being taxed at extreme levels because they're the church. And at the same time, they're trying to care for the widows and the elderly that are in their community. They're really trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But they're struggling because they don't have enough resources to be able to do that well. 
The Macedonians who've had this experience with Jesus, they've recognized that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has transformed their own lives individually and corporately. All of a sudden, they have this heart that's bursting with generosity. And part of that generosity is towards this Jerusalem church. Now, if you think about it, oftentimes churches, even in this part of the world, it becomes this competition. It becomes one church against another. That's not the way it was intended to be. Christ Church is a capital C church that's unified, and the Macedonians recognize that. So they are taking what they can, and they're giving generously to the Jerusalem church. So that's kind of what sets this up. I think there are three things that really stand out in this passage about their generosity, and I think these are things that we can really pay attention to, that you know, the Bible wasn't just written, those words weren't just written to the original audience, they were written for us as well. So our job is to look at what the author was writing to the original audience, but then understand what it means for us today. And I would argue all three of these principles apply. The first is this, their giving was sacrificial. They did all that they might, expected to, they might be expected to do, but then they did even more. They went above and beyond. Now, I think sometimes we shy away from this idea because we worry that, that if, we're, if there's a, such a thing as um, sacrificial generosity, that it means that we're putting ourselves in a place where then we're vulnerable. But that's not what the Apostle Paul's talking about. He's not asking the Macedonian church then to put themselves into a place where they're desolate. He's saying, he's encouraging them, and they're following through and saying, gosh, not only do we want to give what we can, but we want to give even more. As I was thinking about it, I think it would be similar to, um, you know, having, spending some time with somebody who's homeless. I can, um, I can walk and introduce myself to someone who's homeless, and I can give them a leftover meal that I have. So let's say I just went and I ate someplace downtown, and I've got my leftovers in a box. For me, giving a little bit would be giving them whatever's left over in that box. But maybe the idea of giving sacrificially is that I'm going back and I'm getting them a full meal, and then I'm actually maybe giving them two. Just a very small example, but just imagine, it's not taking, they didn't, Macedonians didn't just take what they could give, they gave even more. That's what happens when our lives are transformed by the truth of God's grace the truth of what Christ has done for us, it prompts this generosity inside of us that's sacrificial. So I think that's the first thing, that their giving was sacrificial. Second thing, it was voluntary. Now, this was actually a big deal. When you live in a culture where you're constantly told what you have to do, you've got to abide by different rules and laws. Um, Oftentimes, you're required to give to the king or the ruler. Voluntary generosity, again, is a little bit counterintuitive. They gave on their own. When you think about it, that's actually the definition of generosity. Generosity is only generosity if it's voluntary. If we're giving because we feel like we have to, that's not really generosity. That's something else going on inside of ourselves. Now, I'll tell you right now, if you've got a child or a teenager or a young adult that has anything that they want to sell, if you send them to my house on the front doorstep, I will buy it from them. But that's not, sometimes that might be from my generosity, but there's another part of it that, that there's something else going on inside of me. It's that I remember what it was like to be that age and have to, try to raise money, or I have a relationship with the, with the child, or I have a relationship with the parent. 
That's an element of generosity, but generosity is just this pure sense of voluntary welling up that I want to I give, and I'm not giving out of my own desire. I'm giving out of this relationship with God, and I'm really paying attention to what it is he's asking me to be generous with. So that's, the, that, that's this idea of voluntary. The third one is devotional. For the Macedonians, they really saw their generosity as, as a step of devotion. And their devotion was to two different people. I want to go back and look at this verse one more time just so I can point it out. Here at the end. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. What the Macedonians realized was that grace while received at one point in time when we accept Jesus, when we hear his invitation into our lives, when we say yes to the gift that God offers all of us in his son Jesus, that's one act of grace. But it's not just a one and done deal. Grace is going to the foot of the king, to the foot of the throne over and over and over again and recognizing that we, there is no merit on our behalf, that we have received that gift freely that that grace is an ongoing gift of God in our lives. So when the Macedonians give first, when they're devoted to God first, that's the image. It's that they're going back to God again and again and again and saying, I, I have nothing, but you are everything. Because when we do that, what we're reminded of is the grace of God that, again, prompts the generosity. But if we forget to go back to God, if we get in the middle of our busy lives and we just continue to do what we do and do what we do and do what we do, then all of a sudden our generosity becomes part of doing what we do instead of a response to God's grace. So the first thing that they do when they're looking at this devotion, the Macedonians return to God. This relationship is always first. Then they have this devotion to other people. It's this idea that, that God's kingdom is a community of people. It's a community of believers, it's the church, and it's a community of those who don't yet know Jesus. So it's in that going back, it's that receiving that grace that the devotion then wells up inside and it becomes a devotion to other people. Now, if you think about it, as, we're, as we realize our devotion to other people, in light of God's grace, all of a sudden we become compassionate in a very different way. We become empathetic. We begin to remember what it was like, what it's been like in our own lives when we've been on the receiving side of need. We try to put ourselves in the shoes of the person who's on the other side instead of pointing our fingers, saying, shame on you, you shouldn't be in this circumstance. We, it creates this empathy inside of us. So these three different places, sacrificial, voluntary, and devotional, which is pretty incredible because those three elements of the Macedonian generosity reflect the elements of God's generosity to us. Christ, what Christ did for us on the cross was sacrificial. What Christ did for us on the cross was voluntary. And what Christ did for us on the cross was first of all a devotion to God and second of all a devotion to us. So the model of the Macedonian church is one that we can return to again and again and again, that we can open up our Bibles wherever we are, 
You don't have to be at church to, look, to read this over. You have everything you need to read the Bible and to have those words pop out and speak truth to your life. And this passage, I want to encourage us to go back to this weekend and the weeks to come leading up to Advent because it's this illumination that God's grace prompts our generosity. I want to close us with a story about the impact that generosity has. If you go to chapter 9, and I'm not going to get into this, you can read it later, but it really talks about the thanksgiving that occurs. And the thanksgiving actually occurs from the Jerusalem church. So the Macedonian church is giving generously to the Jerusalem church, and the church in Jerusalem is welling up with thanksgiving. Not to the Macedonian church, but thanksgiving to God. That when we, are, when we step into generosity, when it prompts I'm, when our, I'm sorry, when God's grace prompts our generosity, the result of that in other people's lives is that God is illuminated and people give thanks to him. One example of this in my life, um, a number of years ago when we only had two kids instead of four and they were both toddlers, um, we, had one, we had one job between us and, and it was David's. David, had, David was working and I was at home with the kids. And... Um, Things were tight as it was. Um, we've always been kind of in the ministry world. And he suddenly lost his job. He, they, they eliminated his position. And all of a sudden, we had $1,300, $1,400 in a mortgage payment that was due. And I was ticked off at God. I was part of a MOPS group at that time. MOPS is Mothers of Preschoolers. And I remember sitting with the group and they were praying for me. Um, and they said, you know, how can we pray for you? And in my sassy tone, I know it surprises you, I might have a sassy tone. Um, in my sassy tone, I said, well, you can pray that God drops $1,400 out of the sky because we're about to not have a house. <clears throat> So I uh, went on being angry and, and irritated with God. And within a week, um, I went to the mailbox one day, and there was a check, anonymous check for $500 in the mailbox. And I looked at God, and I was like, nice try. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Literally, the next day, I went to the mailbox, and there was an anonymous check for $500. <laughs> and I was like still not there. <laughs> the next day, I went to the mailbox, and there was an anonymous check for $300. So I informed him that he got close, <laughs> but he didn't make it all the way. And then I showed up at church, and somebody handed me an envelope for $100, and then I had $1,400 for our mortgage. I have no idea who gave that money to us, who those four different families that gave that money to us. For me, it pointed me to the faithfulness of God. It changed my life. It reminded me that when things are hard, God shows up. He doesn't leave us there. Finances and generosity are no challenge for him. They're challenges for us. It changed me to the point that I look at generosity very differently. I really try to step into this place and listen when I can to God's prompting. And it has given David and I a chance to give some anonymous gifts to people at different times. And it is a gift to get to see the way God uses those gifts 
into, in the lives of someone else. At the end of the day, it's not about us. Generosity is not about us. It's about him. But he uses us in each other's lives through generosity because of God's grace to point people back to him because he is a faithful God. So as we are leading into the weeks that come to Advent season, just want to encourage you to really reflect on this, to not get stuck in the busy of life, the busy of the holiday season, but to really take the time to reflect on the fact that God's grace prompts generosity. So we're actually going to give you some time to do that this morning. I think oftentimes we kind of wrestle through things together and then off we go. And so I'm going to give, um, we're, just, we're going to have some time of silence. And I know that can feel awkward. I'll tell you it's going to be between a minute and a half and two minutes. So if you're like, oh my gosh, it feels like forever, I promise you it's two minutes at the most. And there are two questions that I really want us to, to reflect on. The first is this. I want us to take a moment to reflect on the grace you have received from God. You may reflect on that original grace you received, that relationship with Christ, that acceptance of the gift God gave. And you might reflect on God's grace and the way that he has demonstrated that through other people. But this is really a chance to, to have a time of thanksgiving, a time of recognizing the abundance of grace that we've been given. And then make sure you leave some time for the second one. In light of this grace, where can you respond with generosity? You know, the Macedonians weren't making split-minute split decisions about where to be generous. They were really digging in with God and spending time with other people and deciding, gosh, what does it look like for us to be sacrificial? So I just want to encourage us to like put aside some time to really do that. So... Let's reflect on these for a few minutes, and then at the end of those two minutes, I'm going to close us in a word of prayer. Oh Lord, though you were rich, for our sakes you became poor. You have promised in your gospel that whatever is done to the least, you will receive as done to you. Give us grace, we humbly ask you, to be ever willing and ready to minister as you enable us to the necessities of our brothers and sisters and to extend the blessings of your kingdom over all the world to your praise and glory, God over all, blessed forever. Amen.